God expects his people to be a positive, godly influence on the world around them. During the days of Israel's rebellion against God, he sent a prophet named Jeremiah to call them back. And during this time, God said to Jeremiah, you are to influence them. Do not let them influence you. Unfortunately, in the last several years, when Christians have sought to have an influence in the world, we have sought to do this through political means. We seek to persuade lawmakers to make laws against the things we determine are wrong. We institute boycotts against companies that support things that are contrary to our values. We protest, we politic, and we boycott. Despite all of our best efforts, the sad reality is that we have had no real influence on the world around us. At least not the type of influence that we're supposed to have. Sure, we can force people and companies to cave to our demands and our boycotts and our politics and our protests. But in the end, that really doesn't change anything. In the end, the depravity factor of humans will still lead them to do sinful things. Unsaved people will rebel against God's holy standards. And no amount of legislation and no amount of boycotts or protests will change that. The only way to actually change a community or a society is to change the people that make up that community or society. No politician, whether Democrat or Republican, can bring that kind of a change. Only Jesus can change people in a way that it makes the world a better place. I believe it is possible for Christians to have such a godly influence on the people around them that it literally changes the community they live in for the better. In fact, I believe this is the kind of influence we are supposed to have. But I do not believe this is possible if we focus on protest, politics, or boycotts. It can only be done through the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to look at a passage, a parable, where Jesus explains the influence, the results of the kind of influence that believers should have in this world. And we'll learn from this how to cultivate, how to develop the kind of godly influence that makes the world a better place. Open your Bible to Matthew 13 and 33. It's page 744 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Title of the message this morning is The Power of a Godly Influence. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, we love you. And we bow before you and we surrender all of our lives to you. Father, we surrender our minds today to think the way that you would have us to think. 
we surrender our eyes to see what you'd have us to see. We surrender our ears to hear you when you speak. We surrender our mouths to speak your words and your ways for your glory. We surrender our hearts to be purified by you and to desire the things that you want us to desire. And we surrender our will to do anything and everything that you want us to do and to do it the way that you want it done. You are our God. You are Lord. You are the ruler of all. And that includes who we are and how we are. Lord, we live in a world today that is in desperate need of a powerful, godly influence. Desperately in need of the gospel to go forth and to change lives, to change communities, to change the world. And according to your word, this is the way it was always meant to be. The church was meant to make the world a better place. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus. And honestly, God, it looks like we're not. We're just not doing that good at our job right now. And Father, we repent of seeking worldly means to accomplish your will. We repent of trading political power for Holy Spirit power. We repent for trading the message of the gospel for the message of a political party. We repent for thinking that outward laws can change inward realities. Father, today as we look at your words, send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see what you'd have us to see. Father, send your Holy Spirit to, to preach on the inside as... As I preach on the outside. Let him plow up the fallow ground of our heart. And plant your word deep, deep within so that it would bring forth good fruit in our lives. And let us be committed today that when we leave here. We are going to be godly gospel influences on our world. We aren't going to rely on a politician. We aren't going to rely on legislation. We aren't going to rely on anything but what you can do and the difference that you can make. That we will be salt and we will be light everywhere that we go and in all that we do. That we will be conscious of the fact that we are ambassadors for Christ no matter where we are and no matter what else is going on. We'll be aware of the fact that our, our job is to bring you glory in all things. And that we are to represent you faithfully, carefully, and properly to a lost and a dying world. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today that I could speak the message that you've given me. Let your Holy Spirit guide every word that I say that that I would not say anything that would hinder what you want done. Let the Holy Spirit control me in such a way that my attitude would not be a hindrance to your word. 
We don't need a snazzy message. We need you to move. And we need you to speak. And we need your spirit to transform us today. Let your word bring change into our lives. Let us leave here today different than we came in here. Because of what your spirit, your word, and your son are doing within us. And we ask this not because we deserve it. And not because we're particularly good. But because you are great. Because you are awesome. And because Jesus has died on our behalf. Amen. You may be seated. The kingdom of heaven is an important theme in Scripture that I wish we had more time to develop today, but we don't. The basics of the kingdom of heaven is it's the place where God rules, where God's will is always done. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When God's kingdom comes, His will is done. And so, the idea here is that the kingdom of heaven would spread. The rule and the reign of God would spread. It wouldn't stay contained, but it would go from one place and from one person to another. And it would spread until God's will is done on earth, in hearts, in lives, in communities, as it will be in heaven. So Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to leaven, which is interesting, considering last week, leaven, Jesus compared leaven to hypocrisy, the, the doctrine of the Pharisees. Leaven is almost always used as a symbol of sin or some sort of corruption. This is just about the only exception to that rule. And to understand why leaven is a good metaphor For the kingdom of heaven and how it's meant to spread. We need to understand a few things about leaven or yeast. It was a a lump of old dough in a high state of fermentation. Which is taken and mixed with a massive dough to prepare it for baking. The most common idea associated with leaven is in connection with the transformation it has undergone. Which it transmits to the dough in the process of fermentation. As we saw last week, Jesus compares hypocrisy to leaven. It it starts small and it can spread. uh, It's in other places it's compared to other corrupt doctrines. The doctrine of, of Herod or the Herodians. The doctrine of the Sadducees. Paul used leaven as a metaphor for sin that that a little bit, well, that it just corrupts everything eventually. But it's that same thing, that that, that same aspect that a little bit infects a lot that makes leaven such a a good metaphor for the kingdom. Three major characteristics of leaven is that it sources from without and it works within. Leaven is not natural to the dough. And so it has to be added. It has to be introduced. But once it's introduced, it begins to make a change. It begins to change the dough that it's been added to. It spreads by contact. As long as leaven is kept separate, it has no effect upon the dough. But once it's introduced to the dough, it begins to work. And then leaven is very effective. It transforms the dough it comes into contact with into its own nature with the same propagating power. 
It is these three characteristics that make loving a good metaphor for the kingdom of God and the type of influence that Jesus expects His people to have. The influence of the kingdom is not natural to this world. It's something that that must be added. The people that we know that do not know Jesus, they are not just naturally going to come to faith in Jesus. Something must be added to their lives before they will come to know Jesus and the kingdom of God will rule in their hearts. It spreads by contact. God is not going to send an angel to talk to them about Jesus. The gospel is going to spread as you and I talk to people about Jesus. And then it's infective. The gospel makes a difference. It makes a very real difference in the world around it. And it makes the kind of difference that nothing else can make. Nothing has the transforming power of the gospel that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Nothing else can change a life and change a heart and restore a marriage and save a person and deliver them from sin like the kingdom of heaven and the gospel can. Leaven is often symbolic of a moral or a spiritual influence, good or bad. In this case, it is meant to be symbolic of a good influence in the world around us. And what Jesus wants us to understand from this passage is that believers can make an eternal difference by being a godly influence. You see, when the kingdom of heaven spreads into a person's life, they're not the same. They're different. They're changed forever by Jesus. And that's the kind of influence, that is an eternal difference, that is an eternally significant difference that we make by being the godly influence that Christ intends for us to be. And with the concept of leaven in mind, there are three, three actions, three principles that we have to take, that we have to live by. If we're going to be the kind of a godly influence that makes an eternal difference in the world around us. The first is be aware of opportunities to minister. Before leaven can do any good, it must have contact with the dough. It has to be introduced. Left apart from it, it does no good. But as it has contact with the dough... The dough is transformed and it's never the same again. In a similar way, in order for the kingdom of heaven to spread, you and I, we we must have contact with people who are not a part of the kingdom of heaven. We, We must have contact with people who don't know Jesus. We must interact with them. And initially, I I was going to title this point something like interact with people that don't know Jesus or, or something like that. But then I thought... There's just not a lot of cave-dwelling hermits in our church. We all interact with people who don't know Jesus every day of our lives. You're going to go out today, and unless you go home and don't leave your house, you're going to interact with someone who doesn't know Jesus. You're going to go to Walmart. You're going to go out to eat. You're going to talk to a neighbor. You're going to talk to a friend or a family member. And you're going to interact with people all day long 
who don't know Jesus. You're going to go tomorrow to your job. And on your job, there's going to be people who don't know Jesus. You're going to take part in your kids' activities and some of the parents won't know Jesus. You're going to do your own hobbies and your own activities and there's going to be some people there who don't know Jesus. There's, there's just virtually, unless you are a cave-dwelling hermit, you interact with people that don't know Jesus on a regular basis. This, often we refer to this as our sphere, our circle of influence. Right? And, and we, we interact with people all the time. And, and we interact with some more than others, right? We interact with our friends and family on a, on a regular basis. We talk to them, we're around them, our co-workers would probably fall into that category, and, and we're there a lot. Then we have acquaintances, just people that we're not best friends with, and we probably don't text them, but we see them more than occasionally. We see them frequently. And we have, because of that relationship, we have an opportunity to be able to influence them. Then we have strangers. And strangers are people that we meet maybe once or twice in our life, maybe infrequently, maybe occasionally, but intermittently. But even with them, we have an opportunity to be able to influence them for Jesus, to be a godly influence on them. The key to doing this, right? it's not in, in meeting new people necessarily. It's in being aware the opportunities are there. It's, it, it's intentionally looking at people in such a way that you ask yourself, how can I minister to them? How can I serve Jesus by serving them in order to be a godly influence on them? One of the things Jesus says in, in multiple, in two of the Gospels, is he says that, well, in three of the Gospels, he says that the, the harvest is what? It's plenteous. But the laborers are few. There are always more needs than there are people that are willing to work to meet those needs. There are always more lost people than saved people. There are always more people outside the kingdom than inside the kingdom. The, the need isn't for more lost people to move into our circle of influence. The need is for us to be aware of the eternal state of these people. For us to then look for opportunities to minister to them. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I'm not a big just walk up to a random person and, hey, do you know Jesus kind of a conversation. Sometimes, sometimes that'll work and sometimes it won't. But what I'm saying is, I'm saying minister to them. To be aware of their life. Because if you talk to people, they begin to, to talk about things that are wrong. How was your weekend? That was terrible. What happened? Well, family this, problems that, stressed over this. How can you, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, how can you step into that situation and minister to them and show them that because Jesus cares, you care? What can you do to step into that situation and make a difference in their lives? And the opportunities are there if we're just aware. I mean, this is the way Jesus lived his life. When you read the Gospels, one of the things you find is that Jesus rarely set out to do any of the stuff that he did. When Jesus met a woman at the well and, and talked to her about her need for him, what was he doing? He was resting while the disciples went into town to get food. 
He was just going through his life, taking a break after a lot of walking. And she came up and lo and behold, there was an opportunity to minister to her in that time of need. He was he went away with his disciples to be alone. To minister to them, to to have a time of rest after a busy season of of service. And crowds came and didn't have any food. And lo and behold, there was an opportunity to multiply loaves and fish to, to minister to the people. And over and over again in Jesus' life, that's kind of the way he, he lived and he did. He just went through life aware of the people around him, the circumstances, the situation, uh, aware of things that were going on. And then when the opportunities arose, he took them. He met those needs. He did what he could to help. But it wasn't just Jesus that did it. And so, we, you know, a lot of times we'll say, well, Jesus did it. And I'm not Jesus. But, but it wasn't just Jesus that did that. The, the apostles in the book of Acts, they modeled that same thing. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Now, the, the Jewish culture, they had specific times of the day to go pray. Morning and afternoon times prayer. And even after the Holy Spirit came and the apostles were Christians, they still took part in those Jewish times of prayer. So in Acts 3, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple, the hour of prayer, and the ninth hour. Now, stop there. What I want you to see is that they're, they're going through life. Right? They've got something going on. They're, the, church, the church is growing. They went from 120 to thousands in the period of a 10-minute sermon. My guess is they're a little overwhelmed at how, how fast this is all growing. They're, they're talking to one another. And they're going to do something specific. They're going to the hour of prayer. Now, the reason this makes this is so important to me is I can easily get overly focused on what I'm doing, even if it's not important. There's been more than one occasion that I have walking somewhere and heard somebody holler my name, but been so focused on what I was going to do that even though I heard the word, it never registered that it was me they were talking to. And it's not just like random people. A few years ago, I was coming out of the school, coming back over to the church to do something. And, and Sarah said, Dad, and I heard it and I kept walking. And she said, Dad, and I heard it and I kept walking. And she said, Stacy James Ross. And I turned around and that was the first time it registered. I, I recognized her voice every time I knew it was her. But I was so focused on what I was going to do that it just didn't click. Wasn't paying attention. And I'm telling you this in part because if you see me at Walmart, I get really focused at Walmart so I can get in and out. Not being rude most of the time. I'm just focused. You have to run into me or let me know. But, but it's easy to get really focused on the chore at hand, on the thing that needs to be done that we don't notice. But even though they had a lot going on, the church was growing. It was, I mean, it, it, it exponentially was growing and people were looking to them for leadership and they were going to pray to seek God's help. They were aware. It says, and, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried and laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And he asked alms from those 
who entered the temple. Now, there was no help or hope for the cripple of this day. The only hope and help that they had came in people who were willing to give alms, who were willing to be generous to help those that were in need. Giving alms to the poor, to the needy, was a it was an act of devotion among the, the Jewish people. It was a, an essential part of Judaism. And, and what better way to get convince people to keep their religious duties than to come outside the temple as they're going in to pray and say, alms for the poor, can you help me out? So that's what this guy did. He, he went there every day to help. And, and no telling how many times... I mean, it goes on and says that he had been doing it for, for a while. All of his life he had been going there. He had been doing this. And no telling how many times Peter and John had seen him. I mean, how many times they had walked by him. How many times they may have even given him money and done things. But he saw Peter and John and they were about to go in the temple. So he asked for alms. And at this point, Peter could have done a couple of things. Uh, Peter could have... Ignored and went on by, right? Because he, he's going to go on to say silver and gold I don't have. So he could have said, sorry, not today. I don't have any money. Or if he had money, he, he could have taken it and just tossed it out without really paying a lot of attention. Or he could have just ignored him and, and walked right on by and not paid attention at all. But, but he didn't do any of those things. Look at what it says that he did in verse 4. And fixing his eyes on them with John, Peter said, Look at us. But Peter, he stopped. And he focused on the guy in need. But he, he realized this is an opportunity for me to be an influence. This is an opportunity for me to minister to this guy in Jesus' name. And possibly make an eternal difference in a way that just money or anything else could not make. So he fixed his eyes on him. He told the guy to look at him. The guy looked. And then, of course, the story goes on. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand. And he lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles and his ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. Now notice the, the, the overall, the overflow impact. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and then they knew. It was he who sat begging at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had just happened. Now, all of this would not have happened. None of this would have happened had Peter and John just walked on by. Had they not have been aware of a stranger that they could influence, they could minister to in Jesus' name. And if we're not careful, though, we'll... We'll cop out here and go, well, yeah, but, I mean, he healed him. Can't do that. True. Maybe we can't heal people in Jesus' name. It'd be cool if we could, but maybe we can't. But is there something we can do? Is there something that we can do to minister to them in Jesus' name? Is there something that we can do to let them know that God loves them and so do we. To let them know that Jesus cares and so do we. To let them know that Jesus sees and so do we. Is there, is there not something that we can do in that moment to minister to that person, to serve them in Jesus' name? Is there not something we can do? 
See, the key isn't that we don't have the power to do what Peter did. The key is just doing what we can do, whatever that may be. And we can all maybe end up doing something different. We may see the same guy. And none of us do the exact same thing because we're able to meet the needs in different ways. We're able to minister to them in Jesus' name in different ways. The key isn't to say, what did Peter do? How did he minister? The key is to say, how can I minister? How can I show them that they matter? How can I serve them and serve Jesus? How can I show them that Jesus cares? What can I do in this moment? To help them, that would be a godly influence and point them to Jesus. That's what we've got to do. Now, to do this, though, it requires things from us. First, it requires us to be willing to focus on people. To look them in the eye. To to listen as they talk. Because not many people, I mean, chances are, we're not going to come upon somebody outside the door that's needing alms as we help. But I bet we all know people that need help in one way or another. And if we were to listen, if we were careful about listening to them, we could pick up what the problem might be. We could pick up that maybe they're discouraged or depressed, that maybe they feel overwhelmed or their kids are going astray, their marriage is struggling, they're having financial problems. Maybe they just feel that God doesn't care. Maybe they feel nobody cares. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But if we listen, if we're aware and we look and we see, we can see that possibly something is not right in their lives. And in that moment, we can step up and we can say, what can I do in Jesus name to help you at this time? Or something. So it requires us to be aware. But it also requires us to be willing to get out of our comfort zones, right? Because somebody doesn't say, hey, I need help. Will you help me? Well, if they'll say that, most of us would be willing to help. I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you. I'll give. I'll, I'll do what I can. But to, to listen, to evaluate, to make a decision and say, hey, it seems to me that something is amiss. Maybe you're worried about your marriage. Maybe you're worried about your kids. Maybe you're having financial troubles. Maybe you're struggling with a sin that you can't get out of. Can I help you? Well, now, that's a whole different level of uncomfort, right? That's, that requires us to step beyond, probably for most of us, where we're comfortable going. But we've got to get out of our comfort zones. I mean, nothing we do for Jesus is going to leave us within our comfort zone. That's just not the way Jesus operates. You can't walk by faith and walk in your comfort zone at the same time. Walking by faith requires risk. It requires us to step out to a place where if Jesus doesn't answer, if Jesus doesn't move, if Jesus doesn't act, everything falls apart. Now, uh, years ago, there was a, a group of people who did this great big scientific study on comfort zones. Right? And they, they studied them and they spent millions of dollars and, and years of, of research and Checking them out and the result of living in one and what it takes to, to move out of one and how, how differences are made in the communities and the world around us in regards to our comfort zone. And they, they were able to summarize all that they learned in a picture that I found. And here's the picture. Right. There's the reality. The magic happens outside of your comfort zone. You want to minister in Jesus' name? It happens outside of your comfort zone. You want to be a godly influence that makes the world a better place? That happens outside of your comfort zone. You want to minister to someone in Jesus' name? That happens outside of your comfort zone. You want to make a difference in the world around you? That happens outside of your comfort zone. 
great things never happened in comfort zones. So if we want to live for Jesus, we want to be a godly influence that makes the world a better place. We have to leave our comfort zones. But when we leave our comfort zones, we see the needs and we do what we can to meet those. We minister to them. We, we become a godly influence that can make an eternal difference in a person's life. And we see here that the difference they made in him, it spread to others. Who knows how that difference will go from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. Because remember, leaven, when it spreads, it, it spreads and then it continues to spread over and over. So the person that, that we infect with the kingdom, they become infective as well. And they begin to spread that and they begin to do and they begin and it goes on and on and on. Right, so first, be aware of the opportunities to minister. Second, you want to connect people to Jesus. Leaven has the power to change, but it takes the leaven to actually be introduced into the dough to make the difference. But once it is, it's, it's transformed and it's now leaven's dough. It's not the same and it never will be again. And this changed dough can now be used to leaven even more dough. When someone is connected to Jesus, they are changed. They are forever changed. They're, they're not the same anymore. The Bible says that when the kindness and, and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy. Now He begins to talk about changes that are made in a person's life because they're connected to Jesus he saved us. They're saved from the wrath to come. They're washed and regenerated. Their, their sins are taken away. They're made into an entirely different person. They're renewed. This transformation, it continues in their life. They're, they're given the Holy Spirit who is poured out upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. They're justified. In other words, it's just as if they'd never sinned. Their, their, account is, is their sin account is wiped clean. They're given grace and they're made heirs with a hope of eternal life. I mean, do you know anything else that can do that but Jesus? I mean, does, does a political party offer that? Any of them. I mean, any of them. Is there another organization on the earth that offers that? There's not. There's not even another religion that offers that. Only Jesus. Only Jesus offers these things. See, that's why we have to connect them to Jesus. Because the temptation that we'll face as we try to be a godly influence is we'll try to make people like us. We'll try to impose our standards and our convictions upon them. We'll want them to think as we think and act as we act. But the reality is we're not actually the standard. For anyone except ourselves. My standards and my convictions, well, they're the standard for me. Maybe my kids. But once they're 18 and they move out, it'll be up to them to find their own standards, their own convictions. I, I can't impose my standards upon them. And, and, and the reality is, even if I could, what good would it do? If I could make everybody in Gaiman have the same standards I have and the same convictions I have, but I fail to connect them to Jesus, what have I done? Well, I've probably made them moral, and, and hopefully I've made them nice, 
But without being connected to Jesus, they're still not saved. And what that means is they're still going to hell when they die. They're, they're good moral people who are nice, love their spouse, care for their kids, and will fall into hell when they die because they never knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. Our job isn't to make them like us. Our job isn't to, to save them or even to change them. Our job isn't to do any of that. When we try to be a godly influence, our goal is ultimately to connect them to Jesus. But they, they, the world at large, they don't need our politics. And they don't need our morals. And they don't need our standards. And they don't need our convictions. And they don't need our ideas. They need our Jesus. And that's the number one thing that they need. But once they get connected to Jesus... Well, He can do something in them that is greater than anything we can do. He can make changes that you and I cannot make. Right? He can change people from the inside out. I love this passage. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a big statement. But knowing that people tend to define unrighteousness as what other people do and not what I do, Paul lists a series of actions that are unrighteous. And that those who do these things have no part in the kingdom of God. So, do not be deceived. Right? Don't trick yourself into thinking you're going to be the exception. Or your family or anyone else's because they're not. So, fornicators. Sex outside the bonds of marriage. Idolaters. People who put something other than God as the, the driving force of their lives. Adulterers, those who, who have sex outside the bonds of marriage, who cheat on their covenant relationship. Homosexuals or sodomites. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. None of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if that's all the passage said, that's a, that's a dark passage, isn't it? There's not a lot of hope there. There's just a list of people who aren't going to heaven. Their sinful actions have put them in opposition to God and are excluding them from the kingdom of heaven. But what happens when those people meet Jesus? Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus changed them. The people at Corinth that Paul was writing to some of them were a part of all of those sins. They had been raised to believe those things were normal and acceptable and even commendable in most cases. But then they met Jesus and suddenly everything changed. They met Jesus and He made them into something entirely different. That's why the Bible says that in Christ we're a, a new creation. That's why Jesus calls it being born again. Right, where a person who comes to Jesus is, is not the same any longer. He, he makes a radical transformation, a radical difference in their lives. And there's, there's nothing that we can do. We can't bring that change. I mean, think about even in your own life. Can you, in your own power, have you in your own power been able to make all the changes in your life that you wanted to make changed? How many New Year's resolutions through the years... Have you wadded up and thrown in the trash? How many new leaves have you turned over in your life? If you look at your life at what's made the biggest difference, is it your willpower or is it Jesus? I know for me it's Jesus. 
my ability to make change in my life is it's non-existent. I found a, a book that I bought when I was in high school. And I had written a letter to myself to prepare myself to go to basic training. This was a, an army book. And I wrote this letter to myself about the stuff I would have to do to be prepared for basic training so that I could be in shape and I could do the things that needed to be done. And I found it, I mean, just a couple of years ago. Uh, and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed at the stuff I said I'd have to do. Because, I mean, it was all right. I needed to run like I said I was going to. And I needed to do push-ups every day. And I needed to do all of those things. But, oh, my goodness, I got the basic training so out of shape and unable to do anything. I thought I was going to die every day at PT. I threw up for the first month and a half I was there every day because of the running and the push-ups and the setups and all the stuff they had us doing. I was completely unprepared. And, I mean, man, to read that piece, if I had just shown you that piece of paper and didn't tell you who wrote it, you'd think, man, that was one determined individual. I mean, that person, and that person probably won the Medal of Honor. I mean, oh, man, I had the, all the right stuff saying you're going to have to do this and then you can go on to. It was it was inspiring if you didn't know the story of what actually happened. And all of my good intentions and all of my desire, because I, I really desired to do those things. I did not. I didn't enjoy a day of basic training until I got to where I could run and keep up with everybody else. Let me tell you something. If you go to basic training and you fall out. Worst day of your life up to that point in your life, I promise you. Miserable, miserable experience. And I was just, I wanted those things. I wanted everything in that letter. When I wrote it, I remembered writing it. And I was dead serious that I could do all of that stuff. And I would do it. And I did not do, not a single thing that I purposed in my heart to do. The biggest changes that have ever been made in my life have never been because of my willpower. And they've never been because somebody else told me I had to make a change. The biggest changes that have ever been made in my life, they came because of my connection to Jesus. They came because He saved me, because He was sanctifying me, and because He was at work in my life, making me who He wanted me to be. There is nothing we can do to change a person that will accomplish more than connecting them to Jesus. If we want the kingdom of heaven to spread, we must connect people to Jesus. That way, we are a godly influence that's making the world a better place. That makes an eternal difference in someone's life. And then the final, we want to be aware of opportunities to minister. We want to connect people to Jesus. But then thirdly, we never give up. The third aspect of, of leaven is that it doesn't stop working until the whole lump is leavened. And in fact, Jesus even makes that point in Matthew 13. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal till all. Till it was all leavened. That leaven just, it just keeps on going and it keeps on working until it's all been infected, it's all been transformed. And that's the way we're supposed to be. We're, we're not supposed to stop. We're not supposed to give up. I've heard a lot of people talk about like retirement. You know, win the lottery and retire or just retire. The time you get to rest and not really do. You, quit, you have to quit punching the clock. You don't have to, to do the stuff you don't want to do. And, and I've even had people say, well, when do you retire? 
I'm trying to be the godly influence that makes an eternal difference. Well, we don't. We don't ever get to. As long as there are people that need Jesus, there's work to be done. As long as there's breath in our lungs, there's, there's something we can do to be a godly influence, to, to make the world a better place. There's a song, and sadly it's not in the hymnals we currently have, and it's called We'll Work Till Jesus Stuns. And it, and, it, and it expresses the desire to go to be with Jesus and to re- retire. It says, O land of rest for the outside. When will the moment come when I shall lay my armor by and dwell at peace at home? I mean, that's a, that's a desire for rest. That's a desire for retirement. But the song goes on to say that we'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and then be gathered home. If you woke up today, there's something Jesus has for you to do. If you wake up tomorrow, it's because there's something Jesus has for you to do. And part of that is to be a godly influence in the world around you to make an eternal difference in someone's life. I mean, we we wake up every single day for that reason. And, and this song, it reminded me of what Paul said. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I like this passage. It's, it's pretty challenging, I think. But Paul's in prison and he's not 100% sure what's going to happen. They, they may execute him or they may let him go. And he says it's, that really he's good with it either way. But if he lives, he's going to live for Jesus and he dies. He goes to be with Jesus and, and he's winning either way. Right? But, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I, I shall choose, I cannot tell. And what Paul's saying is this. He said, if they, if they kill me, I go to be with Jesus And I rest from my labors and I'm with Jesus. That's the win. That's the best option. But if they let me go, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to work till Jesus comes. I'm going to work until he calls me home. I'm not going to stop until my life is over. And that's how we're to be. We don't get to stop. We don't get to retire. We don't get to be finished in trying to be a godly influence that makes the world a better place. Paul, sir, Paul... Peter said, when talking about the return of Jesus, he said that that God is not slack concerning his promises, as some people count slackness. But instead, he's he's being long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but wanting all people to come to repentance and to the knowledge of the truth. See, the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because there's still lost people that need to be saved. People that he died to pay the penalty for. People that he wants to know him, to live for him, to love him, and to serve him. And he doesn't come back so that those people will have another opportunity and another day. But what about us that have believed, that do know? What does that mean for us? It means that every day Jesus gives us is a day we're meant to use to serve him. We're meant to use to be a godly influence. We're meant to use to try to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. If Jesus gives an unbeliever another day to live, to give an opportunity of repentance, he's given us an opportunity to talk to them, to be an influence on them, to help them come to know Jesus. Every day that we live, that's what we're here for. That's our primary purpose, all of us. We're here to be a godly influence and to make an eternal difference as we do it. And I want us to see this not as a have to. I think if we come out today thinking, man, I have one more thing I have to do. I have to try to be a godly influence and impact people for eternity. If we come out with that attitude, we've missed everything and I have done a poor job of communicating. We get to do that. I mean, 
Think about it. We get to make an eternal difference in the world around us. We get to be a part of what God's doing in Guymon, Oklahoma to make the world a better place. We get to partner with God to save the lost, to transform people, to make the world better. We, we get to be a part of that. I mean, it, what else gives you that sort of mission? I mean, what else do you do that makes an eternal impact in the world around you? What else that you're a part of can change a person's entire eternal destiny? Probably nothing. Being a part of the mission that Jesus Christ started is the greatest thing there is. Getting to be a godly influence to make an eternal impact upon somebody is the greatest thing that there is. The Bible says, blessed are those who die in the Lord for their good works follow them. Our workouts, they aren't following us to heaven. Our Facebook posts, they're not following us to heaven. The meals that we cook, they're not following us to heaven. What's following us to heaven are the things that we do in Jesus' name. They are eternally significant. They make a difference now and they matter in the world to come. Be a part of the greatest thing you can ever be a part of. Determine that you're going to be a godly influence that makes the world a better place by changing eternal destinies. Let's stand.